This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. The Humanities Symposia is a lecture series sponsored by Trine University's Humanities and Communication Department and the Humanities Institute. The series allows faculty and visiting scholars to share their current research with Trine students and the general public. Our first speaker this semester is Dr. Christine Olding, Assistant Professor in the Department of Humanities and Communication. Dr. Olding has a BA from the University of Dayton in English Literature and Philosophy, and her MA is also from the University of Dayton in Creative Writing. Her PhD is from Kent State University, where she wrote her dissertation on the sonic composing processes of musicians. She also has an article entitled T-Rex, Bowie, and Foucault, Early Glam's Influence of European Youth Culture, published in the Journal of European Popular Culture. Her scholarly interests include popular culture, musical subcultures, and composing processes. Her talk for this symposium is titled 20th Century Boy, How Mark Boland Founded Glam. Uh, like she said, I am Dr. Christine Olding. I am a professor up in the Humanities and Communications Department here at Trine. And today I'm going to be talking to you about a person that most of you probably have never heard of before. And that person's name is Mark Bolin. But before I talk about Mark Bolin, I want to talk about what is glam. So does anybody, just a raise of hand, has anybody in the audience heard of the term glam rock? Okay, that's, thank you. That's more than I usually get. So, and I have a few students in here, so I was expecting at least those hands to go up. So glam rock, there is no true definition for glam rock because of the fact that it comes from a variety of different outside influences and genres. But what I will say is that glam rock hit its peak in England, the United States, and most notably Germany from 1970 to 1975. It is characterized by outlandish theatrical performance, androgyny, and also the three major themes of glam rock, which are drug exploration, sexual exploration, and exploration of self. So who is Mark Bolin, this man who founded this genre of music? Who is he? So this is a picture of Mark Bolin, if you couldn't guess. Mark Bolin was born Mark Feld on September 16th of 1947 in England. He was a member of a multitude of different subcultures as well as bands before he hit T-Rex, which I will get into in a second. He was part of John's Children, which was a mod band. So the mod movement was a movement that predominantly was in England, but also kind of shifted into the United States with people like Andy Warhol, Twiggy. Um, but the mod movement predominantly took place in England, and it was highly focused on the presentation of self in terms of what you wore. So a famous mod band that I'm hoping, I'm really hoping some of you have heard of would be The Who. So they wore very tailored outfits that had bigger lapels, had clean cut hair. They're also known for driving Vespa scooters, which is just kind of comical. They also were known for their drug of choice, which was amphetamines. So they were a party subculture, to put it lightly. And Mark Bolin was in a band called John's Children, which actually traveled with The Who in Germany for three months before his band got kicked out of the tour 
for rowdy behavior. And so after that, he created a group called Tyrannosaurus Rex in 1967. So before I talk about Tyrannosaurus Rex, I want to kind of introduce you all to the culture of the time. So that would be the counterculture movement. So the counterculture movement, also known as the hippie movement, was a movement that predominantly, when we think of it, we think of it in the States. However, it did also happen in the UK as well. The counterculture movement was a movement that started really in the mid-1960s, um, especially on the West Coast within San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood. And it was a rejection of the 50s lifestyle of white picket fence, a woman and a man with two kids and a dog in suburbia. It was a rejection of the old way of life for a new way of life that encompassed an understanding of love, peace, freedom, sexual exploration, and drug exploration. And that was really kind of forefronted by some cultural things that were happening at that time, such as the Vietnam War and the draft. So the Vietnam draft happened in the United States. So men who were 18 and older were eligible to be drafted into the Vietnam War. You did not have a choice on whether or not you went. If you were drafted, you went. And if you didn't go, that would be considered illegal and you would be arrested. Some reasons that people would not have been drafted would have been for certain mental illnesses, such as homosexuality, which at that time was viewed as a mental illness. So there was a lot of political strife and upset during our history at that time. And so some attributes to the movement can be seen within that. So the counterculture movement was extremely community-based very politically driven. A lot of the music at that time was about things such as civil rights movement, anti-Vietnam. A lot of music also dealt with things like drug use and what drug use provided that culture in a way that nothing else could. Performers were very static on stage. They tended not to move. Even when you look at videos of, for instance, Jimi Hendrix, who is known as the best guitar player, in American rock music history. And I really hope that you guys know who Jimi Hendrix is. Like, I really, really hope that. If you don't, for the love of God, please look him up when you leave here. But even, even his performances on stage, he would move around, but he tended to really only move in like a circle space. And a lot of the focus was on what he did with the guitar itself, the, the guitar as more of a prop. Performers wanted to identify with the audience. They didn't want to stand out from the audience. They wanted the audience to identify in them and vice versa because they all share this, this common idea, this common goal. So then we have the glam movement, which in a lot of ways is a rejection of the counterculture way of life, of focusing on the community as a whole, and it's more focused on the individual self. It's apolitical. They don't really talk about politics in their lyrics. They talk about science fiction. They talk about technology. They, of course, just like with every other music genre, they talk about drug, sex, and rock and roll, right? But they really focus on this idea of stage presence and performance. The performers were very dynamic on stage. They would move around a lot. Known for gender bending and androgynous qualities, meaning that men would dress as women. Performers made themselves separate from the audience. So performers wanted the audience to emulate them, not the other way around. So how does Mark Boland fit into all of this? 
So as I mentioned earlier, we have Tyrannosaurus Rex. So if you look just at these album covers, and those of you who are more familiar with the counterculture era are going to recognize these are very counterculture-esque album covers. Both Bolin and Steve Took, who was the bongo player during Tyrannosaurus Rex, have longer hair. They're wearing more like peasant-y tops, flowy outfits. There isn't a whole lot of focus on glitz and glamour. I mean, the weirdest one is them down here wearing a cape. And even that's not that weird. And so Tyrannosaurus Rex was considered a two-person underground psychedelic folk duo. And a lot of you are looking at me like, what is that? So they played a lot of music that was very simplistic in terms of musicality, but very complicated in terms of lyrical presentation. Their lyrics were heavily influenced by J.R.R. Tolkien, and the lyrics of Tyrannosaurus Rex, you can see that. They don't have typical verse, chorus, verse structure. It reads much more like a poem. And when you listen to it, it has an acoustic guitar, bongo drums, maybe some other Eastern-influenced instruments, but it's not hard, heavy rock that you might associate with other music of the time. So we are going to listen to a song called She Was Born to Be My Unicorn, which is off the album titled Unicorn, which came out in 1969. These are the lyrics. I don't expect you to read all of them now, but even just looking at the first three lines, she was born to be my unicorn, robed head of ferns, cat child, tutored by the learned. Those aren't your average lyrics. They're a little bit bizarre. And the whole song is like that. And so while you're listening to this song, which is about two and a half minutes, while you're listening to this song, I want you to notice a few things. I want you to notice the lack of clarity in Mark Boland's voice. I want you to notice the experimentation happening with Mark Boland's voice, as well as the types of instruments that are being used. And this is a picture of Mark Boland performing during the Tyrannosaurus Rex phase of his career. And I'm going to say this to you as I say to my students, this music is music that most of you are going to find very odd, and I recognize that, but try to keep an open mind. She was born to be my unicorn, rode ahead of fast, catch our children by the The ghost is hers, heaven lies above the notes. Seeks the sandals sure of God's baby of the moon. Nightmares move mess mad, sets of these winds of the night. Just a stream of steam, cooking in the cream of scream. Gentle winter hair, cleans is a shell of donny bear. Silken weather cap, must return from a drink ski high, 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 high.
you thought that was kind of weird. I'm going to guess most of you, yes. So when you listen to it, whenever I listen to that song, it's almost like I'm being transported into like a mythical garden with like fairies everywhere, right? Like it's very ethereal in how it sounds. And if any of you have ever read any J.R.R. Tolkien, so Lord of the Rings, it's pretty clear to see that the dude loved Lord of the Rings because all of the lyrics from Tyrannosaurus Rex are pretty much like this. So something happened, and Mark Bolin decided that he wanted to become famous. And he knew that he would not become famous with songs like this. And so he completely shifted how he sounded, how he wrote, what he looked like, and even the name of his band. Tyrannosaurus Rex was from 67 to 1970, in 1969, Mark Bolin replaced Steve Took, the guy on all the other albums, with Mickey Finn. And he replaced him with Mickey Finn simply because he thought Mickey Finn looked more attractive. Mickey Finn did not know how to play bongos. Mark Bolin had to teach him how to play bongos. And so that was kind of the start of this transition. And in 1970, Mark Bolin and Mickey Finn released an album under the name T-Rex. They changed the name to T-Rex because T-Rex could fit better on marketing materials, such as posters. No other reason. And they started working with a man by the name of Tony Visconti. Tony Visconti would later go on to produce David Bowie. Please, I hope most of you know who that is. Again, if you don't, please look him up when you leave here. So he ditched the name, gained a new producer, gained a new bongo player, and then gained a bassist and a traditional drummer started playing the electric guitar, and became a four-part rock band. So he went from being a two-part folk duo to a four-part rock band. He also completely changed his look. So this album down here, so the yellow one, the yellow outline, that is the Electric Warrior album. That is the first really big album that they released in 1972. Up until then, they had a few singles they released in between T-Rex, the debut album, um, and then the four-part T-Rex Electric Warrior. So the song that kind of propelled them into stardom was a song called Hot Love, which is a traditional pop song in terms of verse, chorus, verse. And then they also came out with a song called Ride a White Swan. And there's a video of Mark Bolin performing this song, and he comes out on a giant robotic white swan, and he's singing this song. And that was kind of it. And from that moment on, 
England could not get enough of Mark Bolin and T-Rex. It became known as T-Rex to see, and they were known as the biggest thing since the Beatles in England. They were huge. They didn't really quite make that popular in the States for a lot of various reasons. The one song that really made it over here was the song Bang a Gong, Get It On. If I played it, most of you, well, some of you might have heard it. Um, but in England, and especially also in Germany, he was huge. So as you can see again, the visualization of T-Rex versus Tyrannosaurus Rex is very different. It's focused on him predominantly. The Top Hat album is The Slider. Electric Water came out in 71. The Slider came out in 72. Um, and The Slider actually reached number four in the US charts, which isn't terrible. But both of those album covers are solely focused on him, his self-presentation, even his band picture. He's the one that stands out. I mean, he's wearing pretty much all red. He has a black jacket, but when you look at the picture, at least for me, I know I looked directly at his pants. They're bright red. Um, and the picture up there, he is wearing makeup. He's wearing more of an effeminate style. So he changed how he physically looked from more of a masculine, counterculture-esque figure to more of an effeminate, still hyper-masculine in a lot of ways, um, but also very effeminate. And we're going to talk about that with the next song, which is 20th Century Boy. This song came out in 1973. It was released as a single. It wasn't actually released on an album, and it was put on the remaster of the album Tanks. And this song has been used in commercials, so some of you might have heard it. But just looking at the first three lines, friends say it's fine, friends say it's good, everybody says it's just like rock and roll. That is very different than the first three lines in She Was Born To Be My Unicorn. If you didn't know that they were written by the same person, you wouldn't be able to guess that. He completely shifted how he wrote his lyrics, how he structured them, so that they would become more popular. So while you're listening to this song, I just want you to think about how is this the same person? I really want you to think that.
Okay, raise your hand. If I would not have told you that they were sung by the same person, would you have thought they were sung by the same person? No. His voice totally changed. How the song was structured, totally changed. The lyrical message, totally changed. His physical presentation of self, totally changed. To the point that the group seemed completely separate from each other. Bolin changed his lyrical styling so that they would be quick, catchy, pop music driven. The musicality is the same way. It's very cyclical in nature, meaning that it's very repetitive. And it goes along with the verse, chorus, verse structure of the song. Bolin's physical presentation of self changed drastically. So if we look at Bolin before, he doesn't really stand out a whole lot, right? The only thing that really stands out about him is his hair, but he's not wearing anything that's super gregarious, it's super out there. He becomes hypersexual in what he sings about, how he presents himself on stage. And there's this power dynamic between his outward appearance as more effeminate, his vocalization as more effeminate, as being higher pitched, but then he also presents as hyper-masculine. And so he gains this massive following of teenage girls. Teenagers between the ages of like 15 and 18 were obsessed with Mark Bolin in England. And so he really capitalized on this need for outward self-expression in a way that no one had ever seen before. And it's hard for us nowadays to think that no one had ever seen a man wearing glitter on his cheeks when we have things like RuPaul's Drag Race. But in 1970, 1971, 1972, 1973, in England, United States, like that really wasn't a thing yet. And so you have people like Mark Bolin and then later on, that around the same time you have Bowie, who's dressing up as otherworldly characters, like literally an alien from outer space is Ziggy Stardust. So you have these people starting to take on these personas that allow other people to vicariously live through them in a way that had never been done before. So let's kind of recap this switch from the counterculture to glam. I cheated a little bit. I stole a quote from my own article, which I really didn't want to do, but past me really knew how to capture this moment. So Bolin completely changed not only his appearance, but also his writing style. Bolin went from writing songs that were pr focused primarily on Tolkien-inspired nonsensical fable fables to more metaphorical science fiction-inspired songs about sex and identity. Bolin's desire for change was simple. He wanted to be noticed, and he wanted to make chart-topping hits, and with these changes, the genre of glam was born. So T-Rex's rejection of the style of folk music due to Bolin's own desire to become famous, as well as the implementation of the traditional four-part rock band, the shift in lyrical presentation, the shift in physical presentation. So I think, again, these pictures really highlight that shift. So before in Tyrannosaurus Rex, yeah, he had big hair, and these, he's dressed way more flamboyant, way more out there, as well as the emphasis on stage presence. So with glam, one thing to note is that, in my opinion, in order to fully understand what the songs are about, you need to not only listen to the lyrics and read the lyrics, but also watch the performers perform the song. 
because their movements can lend way to an interpretation that you might not have thought about when just looking at the lyrics. And so glam really was the genre that kind of started the need to have a theatrical understanding of what music was about. And then Bowie capitalized on that idea and ran with it. And now we have people like Lady Gaga, who wore a meat dress to one of the Emmys when I was in college. And so all of that started with a five foot four guy from suburban England who liked Tolkien and wizards and decided one day, hey, you know what? I can be famous too. And so with that, Mark Boland's legacy was born. Unfortunately, Boland died in 1977 um, in a car crash two weeks before his 30th birthday. So his career was cut tragically short. Um, however, I will say, up until his death, right before he died, he toured with one of the first punk bands, The Damned, because he saw punk as kind of the new prefaces to the glam rock movement. So with that, I will open it up to questions. Any questions are welcome. There's no such thing as a stupid question. So if you have any questions, please ask them. Now's your time to shine. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.